I believe I'll preach the gospel if that's all right with y'all today. Take your Bibles and be finding Deuteronomy chapter 5 once again this morning. If this is your first time at Hillcrest, we are in a series of messages through 2022, much of it anyway. Uh, from the wonderful Old Testament book of Deuteronomy, which is one of the most inspiring, worshipful, and instructive books that you find in the Old Testament of God, indeed in the Bible itself. And in these summer weeks at Hillcrest, we are engaged in a series within a series in which we're kind of slowing down and uh, focusing in Deuteronomy 5 on the Ten Commandments. A section of scripture that for many people is a beloved part of God's word uh, because it just is so uh, important in terms of providing us a roadmap to live in a way that honors the holy character of God. And never forget, when we speak of the Ten Commandments, we're not doing so in order that you might strive in your own effort to keep them so that God will save you by keeping the Ten Commandments. Everybody in the room understand that. Amen. We're saved by faith in Christ through the grace of God plus absolutely nothing else. But the moral law of God never goes out of style. In fact, in the first message in this series, we made it very clear that every one of the Ten Commandments is repeated multiple times in different kinds of ways in the New Testament. And so when it comes to the moral law, some parts of God's law were abrogated with the coming of Christ. They're no longer in effect for the people of God but not the moral law. The reason that we know that is because the moral law predated the giving of the commandments. All throughout the book of Genesis, you find people being held accountable for their actions before they even knew what the law was. It hadn't been written down yet. So the law is eternal morally, and it's important that we know it so that we can live in a way that brings about the blessing of God rather than the judgment of God. Everybody with me, would you say amen? Now, Deuteronomy 5 is the second of the two passages that uh, relay the Ten Commandments. The first is in Exodus chapter 20 when they were originally given. As we read them here in Deuteronomy chapter number 5, it is a repeat of the Ten Commandments some 40 years later as the children of Israel, this second generation, is preparing to enter the kingdom of God. Moses wants to go over them again for this new generation of the people of God who need to know them and who need to respond better to them than the first generation did. Everybody with me so far, say amen. Now today we're gonna focus uh, on the third of the Ten Commandments, which deals with the subject of the name of God. Names are important. If I were to mention certain names today, if I were to say a name like Billy Graham or a name like Mother Teresa, a smile would come on your face, at least for most people. Those are names that bring very positive images. <clears throat> but then I could use other names. I, I used to name a minute ago when I said Richard Nixon. Many people went, oh, right? I was in LA uh, several days ago for the Southern Baptist Convention. I didn't spend much time in Southern California. And one of the things that I enjoy doing, it's a bucket list kind of thing, I go to all of the presidential libraries and museums that I can. There are only a handful of them, and I've been to many of them, but because I don't go to California very often, I've never been to the Ronald Reagan Presidential Library, I went, one of the best days I've ever spent. 
But then also, just east of Anaheim is the Richard Nixon Presidential Library. Every bit is good. Beautiful grounds, wonderful exhibits. They didn't try to gloss anything over. Or can I say they didn't try to cover anything up? Amen. They were very honest and, and showed the good with the not so good. And uh, as I strolled through there with my son-in-law who accompanied me on this trip to this convention as a messenger from our church, uh, I couldn't help think but several years ago when Hillcrest had a wonderful friend and deacon whose name was Richard Nixon. How many of y'all in here today remember Richard Nixon? Sure, I mean, he was a wonderful guy. Richard Nixon was saved in this church. Richard Nixon was baptized in this church. I'll never forget the day Victor Bowl baptized Richard Nixon and everybody was kind of stifling a laugh because he kept referring to Richard Nixon and when Victor finished baptizing him, Richard was getting out of the water and Victor went, I, <laughs> everybody just burst into laughter. It was one of the greatest mornings at Hillcrest. I'll never forget that as long as I live. Richard got cancer, our Richard Nixon got cancer several years ago and it was stage four when they found it and <clears throat> he lived for a couple of years, made much of life. I preached his funeral right in this room. And when I did, uh, my heart went to the text in Proverbs chapter 22, where the Bible says a good name is more desirable than great riches. To be esteemed is better than silver or gold. I told our congregation, Richard Nixon never made an attempt to change his name. What he did attempt to do was make it a good name because there's value in a good name. The old saying goes, what's in a name? Well, a lot, especially if you're talking about the name of God himself. Today, we come to the third of these 10 commandments, one that deals with the holiness of God's name and the care with which the people of God are to use the holy name of God. Here's what it says in Deuteronomy 5 in verse 11. You know it. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Heavenly Father, this morning, uh, I'm just reminded that it's very easy for all of us in the room to stray off course with this commandment. And we'll all admit that. Help us to understand why this one is just as important to you as the rest of them are. And if we need to, help us to make a course correction so that every time we use the precious and matchless name of God, we use it in a way that reflects his holy character for the world to see. Guide us now as we worship through the word we pray in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. That's a very plain commandment. What God really says is don't misuse my name. Treat it with respect. Don't use it casually. Don't use it flippantly. Use it whenever you use it with awe and Adoration. Let me remind you this morning that the people of God in Moses' day wouldn't have even said the name of God out loud. They would have used some other 
uh, allusion to the name of God verbally, but they wouldn't have pronounced his name so holy and revered was the very name of God itself. Sometimes I'm afraid those of us who even have the completed word of God, our Bibles, some of us, I'm afraid, take uh, the name of our friends and our family members and treat them with even more respect than we do the name of God. Some of us in the room might admit to treating the names of our pets with greater respect than we treat the name of God. Parents-to-be, and we've got some in our church, typically spend hours and hours digging through books and going through lists on the internet in order to determine the best name to name their children. In fact, we did that when we got the kids a dog for the first time. We pulled the books out, trying to figure out what we were gonna call the name of our dog. When you're a parent expecting, or when you're a pastor rather expecting a baby, your congregation always helps you. My first church thought we ought to name our son Rusty. Rusty Locke, think about it. It was worse because they told us we should name Whitney Goldie. Think about it. Goldie Locke, we rejected those as categorically unbiblical names. In fact, my son-in-law and I were driving through L.A. Uh, and we passed a Tony Roma's restaurant. Y'all eating at Tony Roma's? Place for ribs. I didn't know they existed anymore. I hadn't seen one in a while. And I, I told Derek, you're, you're not going to believe this, but it was in a Tony Roma's restaurant in Springfield, Missouri, that Judy and I decided on what to name our son. We were stymied about the name, had several names in the pot. None of them exploded from the pack. The ones I really liked, Judy seemed to be tepid about, and the ones that she really liked, I wasn't really crazy about. So we really didn't know what we were going to name him. We knew it was going to be a boy. But that night, I took Judy. We were up in Springfield to make a visit, and I I, I took Judy to a Tony Roma's restaurant. And we were sitting there when this tall, strapping young man, athletic cut, came up in his white shirt and his black tie and his black apron. And he said to us, evening folks, my name is Seth, and I'll be taking care of y'all tonight. And when he went away uh, to get our drinks, she looked at me and I looked at her, and almost at the same time we said, that's it. And that's what we named our son. And as Paul Harvey said, now you know the rest of the story. Man, we prayed about what to name our children. That was a wonderful biblical name. The name Seth means the substitute. We lost our first child four months into the pregnancy. And it just seemed like the perfect name. Seth was that substitute son when the Lord chose in his sovereign to take that first one on to heaven in his own perfect will. We knew that in the biblical period, that's what godly parents did. They prayed. They asked God for wisdom in selecting the name of their children. And each child's name had a specific meaning, very important to the parents. You know, in this day and age, we, we pick out names because we think they're cool uh, or because names are just a label. But for a Jew, the name was inseparable from the person itself. And let me just say, when it comes to the name of God, that's doubly true. You cannot separate God himself from the very name of God. I want you to think this morning, nobody ever named God. Did anybody in here ever name themselves? 
You didn't. Somebody you didn't even know gave you your name. But that's not the case with God. God in his eternity names himself. And the name of God as given to Moses in Exodus 3 there at the burning bush, Yahweh, the Lord in our English Bibles, literally meaning I am who I am, that name reflects the very character and the very identity of God himself. And God makes it very, very clear that it was for the sake of his name, for the sake of my name, I have brought my people out of Egypt. Psalm 106, 8. Yet God saved them for his what? For his name's sake, that he might make known his mighty power. And it's for that reason that God says, don't misuse my name. Don't take it in vain. In fact, the NIV translates it that way. If you're using that translation, you shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, which I think is a good way to understand it. The text literally says in the Hebrew there, you shall not lift up the name of the Lord your God for nothingness for nothingness. In other words, don't use God's name in a meaningless way. Go, don't use God, God's name in, a, in an empty, vain kind of way. God's name is to be treated with respect. It's to be treated with worth because there's no way that you can say that you honor and respect God if you dishonor and disrespect his name. Now let's be honest. I mean, can we be honest in church? Amen. We don't always get this one right, do we? This commandment may be the most violated commandment in the book. Truth be told, I think every one of us here today has misused the name of God. You may have even done it before you got to worship this morning. How do we do that? How, and what, what are some of the ways that we can misuse the name of God? Well, let me give you several to consider this morning. First, you can misuse God's name when you use it to insult God. And there are a lot of people that do that. This is using God's name in what the Bible calls a coarse way or a joking way or an unwholesome way. We would lump under this category things like swearing or profanity. And boy, do we ever have a problem with that in the good old USA. It's a problem all over the world, but it's an especial problem in our culture. America is a foul-mouthed nation. We are a foul-mouthed nation. And let me just say, if you can't control your tongue, you are an out-of-control person. I mean, God saves a person to bring their lives under his control. And when your tongue's not in control, your life is pretty much out of control. But we see this all around the culture. Movie won't sell without profanity. That's why they spice it up. That's why you don't have G-rated movies anymore. Uh, music, streaming music or music CDs, man, they have to come with explicit warning labels on them, the big red E, right? Because many of them are filled with profanity. You just can't get away from it. You know why many people, if not most people, swear? They do it to be impressive. They do it to get a laugh out of other people. Really what it is is just a lack of control. It's a lack of discipline. But we just want to impress somebody and we think that we can impress other people by insulting the name of God because it makes us feel powerful. We feel powerful when we use words like we want to use them. 
But let me just say this morning, a big person doesn't have to cut God down in order to impress other people. It doesn't take any intel. You, you can train a three-year-old child to swear. You can train a parrot to swear, for crying out loud. It doesn't take any intelligence to do that. But the Bible says that a mature follower of the Lord Jesus Christ learns to control their tongue. They learn to control their speech, especially when you're angry and especially when you're hurt. I've quoted Ephesians 4.29 so often. I mean, it's in my heart as well as in my head. Let no unwholesome talk come out of your mouths. How we misunderstand that. Let no unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may what? Benefit those who listen. And for this reason, coupling that with this eternal commandment, we ought never use God's holy name in an insulting or in a profane way. A second way we dishonor God's name is when we use it to indulge ourselves. God's name is often used as a cover uh, either for what you want uh, to do or what you want to receive or what you don't want to do. You know, sometimes it's very easy for the people of God to blame God for what they either do or don't want to do. Well, I know it's Sunday, but I just didn't feel God leading me to get out of bed this morning. That's taking the name of the Lord in vain is what that is. Because I'm pretty sure it wasn't God that was saying that to you. You know, I just, I'm, I, God does not, I don't feel God leading me to keep that contract. I, I've prayed about it, pastor. And I think God just wants me to get out of this marriage. Friend, what you just did was make a statement in the name of God that clearly violates the word of God. And whenever you do that, you take the name of the Lord your God in vain. It's a misuse of God's holy name. This happens, by the way, a lot within marriages. Honey, I prayed about this, and I think God really wants us to buy that Maserati. He wants us to do it. I've worked up the numbers. We can finance this thing for 42 years. We can do it. God says yes. Well, how are you going to argue with God? Somebody says that to you. God told me. In the real world, we call that fraud is what we call it. And there's a lot of fraudulent use of the name of God that goes around and around today. Lots of spiritual forgers in the world. And unfortunately, there's some spiritual forgers in the house of God. When we use God's name to justify getting what we want that's actually outside the will of God. Well, maybe God never said it at all. And many times he doesn't. We're just using God's name or misusing God's name as a cover. Along those same, li same lines, people could use God's name not only to indulge themselves, but to intimidate other people. It's closely related. And some people are pros at this. God told me that you ought to do this. Well, again, how are you going to argue with God, right? Television evangelists are really bad about this, or at least they used to be. You all know what I'm saying? You ever seen a TV evangelist on TV? If you don't send in that $1,000 seed faith gift, we're going to have to pull the plug, 
right? What's misusing the name of God? There was one famous TV preacher years ago told his audience, God told me that if we don't reach this financial goal within this period of time, God is going to take my life. Said that, I can tell you the name of the TV evangelist who did it too. Friend, that's using God's name to intimidate and it's a misuse of the holy name of God. Everybody tracking with me so far, would you say amen? amen? Fourth, we misuse God's name when we use it to impress others. When we use it to impress others. You can take God's name in vain by trying to prove that you're more spiritual than you really are. This is what turns a lot of people off about believers because there are many people that believe that Christian maturity is just bound up in how, how frequently and with what urgency you throw around the name of Jesus. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Bless God, hallelujah, thank you, Jesus. And when you do that, without a life that backs up an abiding relationship with Christ, guess what you're doing? You're taking the name of the Lord your God in vain because you're just using the holiness of God's name or the divine name of the Son of God to try to be more impressive spiritually than your life would actually reflect. I'm telling you, all of us are aware of this kind of thing. It's enough to give you indigestion. Somebody say amen. Because religious talk is not gonna impress anybody. Authenticity is what makes a difference when it comes to your testimony. Consistency. And not only what people hear from your lips, but in what people see with your life. Titus 1 and verse 16, they profess to know God. They profess to know God. But they deny him by their words. They are detestable, disobedient, unfit for any good work. And this is why to say, I love the Lord. The Lord is number one in my life. But then to have no ministry, no service to Christ, to not honor God with your time, to not honor God with your finances. Friend, that's taking the name of the Lord in vain when you're just in it for the words to be impressive to other people. And then finally, this one's gonna hurt as if the others don't. We take God's name in vain when we use it impulsively, impulsively. And here's where most of us in the room fall into a trap and misuse the name of God. When you use God's name as an exclamation point, in a sentence, to emphasize something that you're trying to say, to express happiness or to express amazement or excitement or to respond in anger. Y'all know what I'm talking about. Did y'all hear Luke got engaged to Tammy last night? Oh God, that's using God's name as an exclamation point. Chris caught a 12 pound largemouth in the Tensaw River last night. Good Lord. I don't hear any amens. Because most of y'all do that. 
Listen, I'm a product of Southern culture. I grew up grandparents, that's the way they talked. But you see what I'm saying? That's using the name of Christ flippantly, casually, carelessly. Well, Lord, have mercy. Oh, Lord, help us all. No, what that does is, that reduces God to the level of wow. Or, or to the level of awesome, or to the level of just saying, oh, cool, right? Well, you can say that stuff without invoking the name of God as you do it. Because when you do that, when I do that, we use God's name flippantly. Sometimes we can use it comically without even thinking about it. It just kind of becomes part of the culture in which we live. But whenever we do that, it's very difficult to make a biblical justification. Oh, that really doesn't mean anything. As if to say, it doesn't matter to God. I think it do. I think it matters to God. I had an English teacher when I was in the seventh grade. I'm a Tennessee hillbilly. And most Tennessee hillbillies, especially those who were born, you know, in the 50s, 60s and the like and even beyond, we grew up in a part of our vernacular was saying ain't about everything. I ain't going to do that. I ain't going. I ain't coming. I ain't reading that book, right? That's just the way we talked. Mrs. Homeyer was my seventh grade English teacher, one of the most influential teachers ever. And part of what she did was make it her mission in life uh, to <laughs> excise the word ain't out of all of her students' vocabulary. And I didn't work with all students because they had an attitude, I ain't doing that, all right? Uh, but, but, but she captivated my attention somehow in some way. And she took me aside one day and she, she said, Jim, you don't have to say ain't. She said, if you'll just catch yourself saying that and then repeat the sentence again, saying the sentence properly, eventually you'll quit saying it. And you know what? I did and she was right. Now, you say, well, I've heard you say ain't. Poetic license, poetic license. Whenever I say ain't today, I'm doing it on purpose in order to emphasize a point, right? But there is a way you can change your speech and much of it just implies doing the same thing. You understand what's right about using God's name and you understand what's wrong about using God's name. And when you find yourself using God's name flippantly, comically, carelessly, or as an exclamation point, you say, oh, stop, let me retract that, reel that right back in, here's what I meant to say. And pretty soon you'll find yourself having made a course correction in terms of how you use words, particularly the name of God, that is in fact a blessing to God himself. You want to get beyond impulsive speech. Uh, to be impulsive is to do something without thinking about it. Well, that's what a believer ought not ever do. We always want to have our mind engaged. In fact, if you're not careful, you can worship God impulsively. I wonder if there's any people in the room today who just a few minutes ago as we were singing songs that involved the name of God that you checked out while you were singing. I mean, you weren't even thinking about the words. Or maybe you're singing a song, maybe even singing it robustly, but you don't have a life that'll back it up. Did you know that's to take the Lord's name in vain? It's taking the name of God in vain. 
I'm telling you, this is a broad commandment because we just think, man, if I could just quit cussing, God's gonna be happy with that. Well, he'll be happy with that. But I think that there are much broader implications that we need to constantly remind ourselves because of the incredible holiness of the name of the Lord, a name where the people of God it, during the Old Cup wouldn't even say it. They considered it so holy. And yet even though that was the case, they still took the name of the Lord their God in vain when they lived in ways as the people of God that demonstrated they really didn't know God well at all. Isaiah 29 and verse 13. This people draw near me with their what? With their mouth and honor me with their lips while their hearts are what? Far from me and their fear of me is but a commandment taught by men. God's very serious about this commandment. So much so that he told his people in Leviticus chapter 24 that if they were caught using God's name in vain, it was to be considered a capital offense. Anyone using the name of the Lord their God flippantly, casually, carelessly was to be what? Stoned by the assembly. I'm very grateful that doesn't exist anymore because I'm not sure how many of us would be, be here to worship God today if that were the case. And just in case I hadn't made everybody mad already, let me say one more thing this morning. We need to be very careful about slang. Because here's what we tend to do. Oh, I, I get that. And then we kind of alter letters so that what doesn't come out of our mouth is not really profanity, but it's kind of a substitute profanity. There was a college football coach in the panhandle said dad gummit a whole lot. I'm just not sure that's a really good thing to say. Gosh darn it. Jiminy Christmas. Judas Priest. I've heard them all and said some of them. But I'm pretty sure God's not chuckling when we do that. It's part of the reason why our Lord Jesus Christ said, let your yes be yes and your no be no. How many of you scholars were listening attentively during our study of Deuteronomy a couple of years ago when the wisest man during the old covenant said, let your words be few? There's a reason for that. You don't have to dress it up. You don't have to flower your language up, particularly when it in some way, shape, or form has to do with the holiest name on mortal tongue, Jesus, blessed Jesus. You know the thing about dishonorable speech? Dishonorable speech always reveals a dishonorable heart. You say, well, how do you know that, preacher? Jesus said it. Out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth what? Speaks. The old solution back in my childhood was to wash the mouth out with soap. Won't do a bit of good because the problem's not with your mouth. The problem is not with your mouth. The problem is with your heart. 
And whatever is inside of you is going to eventually come out when the world puts the pressure on you. And that's why honoring God's name requires a transformed heart and a transformed mind, which is what Jesus died to provide for us. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God that you offer your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. Don't be conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. So today I believe all of us have a few steps we need to take, including the one bringing the word this morning. Number one, y'all still with me say amen. We need to apologize to God. We offer God an apology for misusing his name in whatever shape or form we may have done it. Two, we need to be careful what we read, careful what we watch, careful what we listen to because everything's peppered with it today. It's hard to get away from it, but you can't control what you can't control and that is with what you feed into your mind because what you feed into your mind ends up affecting your mouth as it affects your heart. And that can end up affecting your spiritual growth. So we need to be careful what we read, what we watch, what we listen to. Third, we need to practice the presence of God. Practice the presence of God. This gets back, everything that I say it seems like from this pulpit gets back to the most important spiritual principle Jesus ever gave us, abide in me, abide in me, and let me abide in you. And man, when you live in an abiding relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, it changes everything. See, you can, you can, you can work as hard as you wanna work on correcting your speak, but if you're not living in a daily relationship with Jesus Christ, it's just gonna come flowing back in. This is why we have to practice the presence of God. Walk by the Spirit every day and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. So practice the presence of God because let me tell you, you, will, you usually will not abuse somebody who's standing right beside you. I mean, when you abuse people, it's, they're, they're, they're way out of earshot, right? And chances are you won't abuse the name of God if you recognize he is always with me. His rod and his staff guide me and comfort me. There is never a time a born-again believer is separated from the presence of God. And when you remember that, when you live in a daily relationship with Jesus, it'll affect the way you think and it'll affect the way you speak. What's in a name? Well, if it's the name of God, everything. We sing it, don't we? There is strength in the name of the Lord. There is power in the name of the Lord. There is hope in the name of the Lord. And there is salvation in the name of the Lord. Amen. For there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. God has given the Lord Jesus Christ that at the name of Jesus every knee shall bow. 
His is the name above every name, and one day every person will bow before the name of Jesus Christ and confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And one day that same Jesus who possesses the name that is above every name, friend, Jesus is coming again. And given that Jesus will judge the living and the dead, including every idle word that we have spoken, it stands to reason that we learn to treasure rather than trash the blessed and holy name of God. Jesus taught us to pray that way, didn't he? Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. This is God's word and all God's people said, Amen.